Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here with me. The power, the power of the mute button, my friends. It's yeah, easy to not be heard when you uh, have trouble clicking it. Uh, I got my boy DJ Mark here with me. Hey, you. And we got our guy, the man with the plan. Lavender Games here with us. Fight pass. Yeah, the man with my- the, the man with the plan. The tower of power. Lavender Gooms is here, folks. My mastery of the mute button is very much on point. He said that. (laughs) Watch this fall fall apart. Um, We're back. Uh, We're going to talk to you folks about some MMA. Got some action that happened this week that only Mike watched and Mark watched a little bit of. Actually, Mark might have watched more than than Mike did. But uh, we're going to talk about the main event for a brief moment. See if we got ourselves somebody to look at at 170 pounds. Uh, we're going to talk about today's uh, breaking news. Breaking broke like half a day, about like eight hours ago, where uh, Rashad Evans went out there on Ariel's uh, new show, the Ariel Hawani MMA show, um, and announced his retirement. So we can talk about um, man who's going to the UFC Hall of Fame almost fucking instantly. Uh, talk a little bit about DC, some of the stuff that came out of his interview. Um, a little bit of John Jones, where these men just don't like each other. Um. We're also going to introduce a new segment because the other ones, well, quite frankly, we're running out of ideas. So new segment, uh, a little bit of MMA history this week, which by the time we get to it, maybe Stefan will come up with a witty title for. Um, little, Then we'll do a little uh, stuff we like and everybody goes home happy and I get to eat dinner. Let's go. Um, this past Saturday morning, um, at least for us Saturday morning, at the Singapore Indoor Stadium in uh, Kalang... Uh, you guys might have heard it differently on the show. K-Lang, Kailang, Singapore, in front of 6,500 people. Leon Edwards went out there, got his big chance to face a name guy. Big step up in competition from Peter Sabata. Took on Donald Cerrone in the main event. Five hard rounds. Leon Edwards went out there and got the W. Let's go to our man, Lavender Gooms. Mike, what do we see out there? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, before the fight... um, the pre-fight buzz on this one, Leonardo was just saying that uh, you know he wants he wanted to knock out Donald Cerrone. That'd be the only way that this would be very impressive in his eyes. Uh, he didn't knock him out. Uh, after the fight ended, Bobby asked me if um, Donald losing was a result of him looking old. In my opinion, it wasn't so much he looked old; it was more he looked like Donald. Uh, he started off very slow in the first round, in my opinion. Uh, Leon Edwards dominated that first round. Uh, Cerrone got opened up by one of uh, Edwards' uh, elbows on the exit of clinches. Um, I think after the first two rounds, um, Donald started to come back. He started to fight a bit more aggressively and started to get, I think, his winding going. Uh, considering that Donald Cerrone isn't exactly a, a great takedown artist. Um, 
I thought that one of the holes that got exposed a bit was um, either his takedown defense, because I think if Donald Cerrone's taking you down, you might have some issues. Uh, got that Englishman takedown defense is what you're saying? Leon Edwards is rocking? I mean, I'm not saying it's an Englishman from 2008 kind of deal, but, I mean, if you want to be a contender, I think you probably got to, you know, spend some time sprawling a bit in the gym. All, all these English guys got just got to call Bisping, man. Call Bisping. Who was your guy? Who who got you, like, good at this? Put him in the right direction. But, you know, Cerrone started to right the ship um, by the end of the fight. I still think it was a pretty clear win for, for Edwards. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that Cerrone's done. Um, I think I had been saying that he was probably a little moist and maybe on his way out. But I think he... At least based on his performance on, on, on Saturday, I think he still has a while to go. Um, doesn't seem like he has any brain damage yet. Marcus, um, brain damage issues aside, I, I saw a lot of people had like 4-1 for, for Leon Edwards. You could, you could have this 5-0 on it. Like, like it was a lot Absolutely. of like it, – it was pretty clear who won this fight, right? I want to say it's 5-0. I would. There was no point in this fight where Cerrone was even remotely close to getting in. I mean, honestly, the best like the best strikes he had. He he flew. Uh, he threw one flurry of punches that a couple of them grazed. He had one leading uppercut which got like big waves when it happened. When you saw it on the replay, it glanced. Counter that with Leon Ev Edwards. Every round was lighting this dude up with his left straight. I mean, really, I think for me, the story of this fight was it wasn't just like Donald Cerrone was Donald Cerrone. And I don't want to like shit on Mike's analysis or anything. It was just like Donald Cerrone could not figure this dude out at all. Any Anytime he tried to get in range, dude had a left straight right in his face. And then basically what Cerrone was had to resort to was basically getting in the pocket, trying to dodge that punch, getting in a clinch. But one of the things I was really impressive with was Evans's uh, clinch work. Not only, like Mike mentioned, every time this dude exit, he's throwing a left uh, elbow to the cut that happened early in the in the first round, which was a knee off of a clinch. But dude's knees in the clinch were good too. He knew how to separate the space, and when he had that space and he had the space to throw the knee, he threw hard, solid knees throughout the entire fight. And besides the few flurries that Donald had, which I think in those rounds, Leon out. Score not even by putting on a very fast pace, but just dictating the comp the fight from beginning to end. And Donald did get him down a few times, and I thought that was that was probably where he got a couple of these rounds. But if you really watch those rounds, he got Leon Edwards down, and probably within about thirty seconds, Edwards is back up, right? And then the Donald, rest of the fight, uh, you know, sorry, Donald also had the thing where like he was sick as a dog. And he almost pulled out of the fight beforehand. Well, that, that could explain. Which his I was wondering, maybe if he looked a little bit like lethargic, but I, he guys had like forty fights, and like that's a lot of fights. And the way his pace is, that's eventually he's gonna. I mean, Mike didn't get the impression that he's done, and I think you're just saying this guy was just better than him at this point. Yeah, I think it was it was a it was really a clear case of Leon Edwards being a southpaw fighter who his whole career has probably just fought right-handed guys because. He didn't throw any jabs or right low kicks. And when you're a, a southpaw fighter fighting right hands, you don't use those strikes. You use your lead left and your back real, rear kick to do high kicks and kicks to the body. And that's pretty much what he did throughout this entire fight. And really what I was impressed with was his clinch. And he stayed composed throughout this entire fight. You know, this being his first big main event fight, fighting someone like Donald Cerrone. Um, 
you could the dude was cool as a cucumber the entire fight. There was no worry on this guy, and he didn't have to be because he was in he was dictating this complete fight. And I think Bobby, you mentioning that Cerrone might have been sick, kind of fills in some of the blanks because what we've talked about with Cerrone, some of the takeaways. He starts slow, but when he's at his best is when he's throwing combinations and his opponents get lost in the mayhem. They don't know if he's going to the body with punches or a high kick. And in that confusion, that's where he lands his big kicks because Cerrone doesn't really have the punching power to put a lot of damage on a person or dictate a fight that way. He has to throw combinations. They have to end with kicks to do a lot of damage. And he wasn't doing those things. And I felt it was because he just couldn't get past the spacing of uh, Edwards here. Edwards was just a younger guy. He was faster on the twitch reflexes on throwing that left straight and managing that and that distance. And then he, he controlled most of the clinch until the later rounds where Donald Cerrone was able to kind of get him against the cage and drag him to the, uh, the floor a few rounds. But like I said, even in those rounds where he was able to take him down, he wasn't able to pass guard. He did no ground and pound for damage. He basically was able to hold Evans for maybe 30, 45 seconds. And Edwards got back up and, you know, continued to, you know, put on a pace that wasn't, I mean, I think the, another takeaway with Edwards is that he didn't look super impressive in this fight. You know, he looked like a guy who knew how to fight, who knew how to dictate the pace and get the W, but he didn't look super dangerous in any one position. You know, yeah, I, yeah this hasn't been, this hasn't exactly been a run where he's knocked out a lot of these guys. He just, he kind of reminds me of a, not as good Neil Magny, but yeah, because it's one not of those guys. Not just because not just because they're both black, but just because they're very unassuming. They put on a pace, and if it ends, it ends. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. Like that's no, kind like, of like that. You have fighters that have a certain skill set. They're like, oh, this dude on the on stand up is deadly. This dude in the clinch is a murderer. This fucker gets you on the ground. It's over. Edwards doesn't really have those. He's really he's really he's pretty good in the stand up. His clinch was really strong, and we didn't see much on the ground. You know, he didn't get any takedowns. He didn't do much off his back besides get right back up. So there wasn't a lot of big takeaways. What you have is a young guy who obviously has a well-rounded skill set, but I didn't see in this fight something that screams like, oh, this guy's a title contender. This guy's going to go really far. It's really, if this guy gets paired up with guys that are a little bit older and, you know, we're starting to question, like you said, is he on the way out? Is he too old? He's going to do well against those type of fighters. But, you know, when he's fighting the thompson's and uh some of the other high class guys at welterweight i don't know how he's going to do like a, a covington will probably do really well with him even um who's that guy covington just beat um not a sun sal i'm totally on the dude's days. Dos Dos Anos, like those kind of guys i think they're more dynamic they're more explosive than what i saw in edwards but who knows you know it was it was a good solid win for him to kind of build some i mean 26 stuff. years old you know 26 years old on a six fight win streak, 16 and three. But he got room for growth still. So it was nice to see. Yeah, totally. uh, I think I, I didn't dislike some of the ideas people had of him fighting like Jorge Masvidal. Though if I'm Jorge Masvidal, good. I'm not sure Jorge Masvidal, I want that fight. I, if I'm Jorge so, Masvidal, it's also I like not it. much of an idea because he called out Jorge Masvidal. No, oh, there well. we go. Well, there's also people saying he should face Darren Till, which I think Darren Till probably deserves a bigger fight than that at this point. Even actually, maybe he doesn't. He was way overweight. Darren, well, Darren Till, after he almost died making weight, it looked like this dude should go up and wait. But I know we'll see where it goes. This is all I want from the co-main event analysis. Stefan, number seven ranked OSP defeated number thirteen ranked uh, Tyson Pedro. Do you even give the slightest shit enough to figure out how he did it? Oh, I know how he did it. I, I didn't see it, but I read results. I'm trying. Uh, to, I'm trying to make a point here about the point about how two hundred five live is not two hundred five live. Jesus, two hundred five is a. Uh, is a wasteland of, un of unimportant shit except for title fights. But go Look, ahead. <laughs> no champion, but the man wins with head kicks or uh, what's the name of that uh, choke he always gets? Von, Von Fluke. 
So it's called the, it's, it's the Von Prue choke now, I thought, after you got like four of them. He got the Von Prue choke, or he gets massively obliterated. Why am I going to knock OSP? He's exciting one, win or lose. Man, but, I, don't, um, I don't need the OSP out there beating like 25-year-olds, all right? Like, let's... Look, look. <laughs> yeah, he, he got rocked pretty well in this fight, though, at the beginning. Yeah, but I mean, that's from what I understand is, uh, you know, it wasn't like uh, Von Prue just smoked him. So, um, yeah, OSP, he, he's got his holes, but hey, if you can't beat OSP, I don't need you to be a pretender anyways. So, I mean, fair enough. Uh, I just don't want to say, like, uh, and I think Stefan reading the results might be a little because you look at Wikipedia, it says straight armbar, and that might not really tell the tale of what this because it's a straight armbar and the way he did it is not a very common submission because it wasn't like your standard armbar for mount it was basically a kimura that was just stretched out and you don't see a lot of those it's it's a submission that a lot of guys can kind of wiggle their way out of, out of and that's just as you talked about like oh osp he has a lot of like you know cons against him he does get obliterated every now and then but one of his strengths is he pulls out these fucking weird submissions on dudes all the time and that's something that I feel like if he's ever going to take that next step, which at this point I think we're all very wary if he's going to become the guy we thought he could, it's he has to utilize these weird submissions because guys just don't see it coming. You know, you think you're – you're because uh, obviously Tyson thought he was defending against a Kimura in half guard, so he stretched his arm out, and OSP is like, oh, I know this shit too, straight arm bar. It, it was impressive, and that's one thing I do like about OSP. If he gets these submissions, they're usually funky. They're weird, and you don't see a lot of guys use those techniques. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still going with the OSP only barely knows what he's doing theory, and it just kind of uh, working dude out. Knows for exactly dude's what he's going. Did. There's some fights where I'm like, OSP just doesn't know anything, and then other fights, it's the most random submissions of all time. Um, yeah. So this happened. Uh, 6,500 people. It's a good thing Donald Cerrone didn't pull out of that fight. Uh, big win for Jessica I, just because she needs to get a fucking win badly. Um, and, uh, Mike, what happened with Ishihara? The cookie crumbled. The cookie Mr. crumbled. There Who was go. it that said that? Was that Ted Koppel? No. That That's was the a... way the cookie crumbles. Who was that? that was oh, no, wait. That was from Bruce Almighty. I think they definitely stole that from somebody, though. Come on, let's yeah. be honest. Um, some news we got, um... Nate Diaz got another got an. It's not a good thing. What some of the headlines are. Nate Diaz gets into another brawl, <laughs> but Nate Diaz got into a fight at a jujitsu event in Sacramento. Got into a brawl a couple weeks ago with Clay Guida or something. It's nice that he hasn't been arrested for any of this shit yet. But Nate's gotta but get a it's, fight. It's Nick who has the domestic one, right? Yeah, it's been a real, real banner fucking summer. About banner a couple months for the U for the Diaz brothers. It it seems like the Diaz brothers either need to get into the octagon or do some more hard sparring rounds because they have way too much energy on their hands. So I want to get into the Rashad Evans thing, but first off, I think it's time for a little bit of a uh, our great acting because years ago, Mike and I role played. John Jones and Daniel Cormier's uh, a, what they thought was the off-air ESPN uh, exchange. Um, we're gonna do it again this time. I honestly don't remember who played who. Mike, do you remember? I played uh, John Jones. All right, you have way more lines. You have way more lines than I do this time. Then so wait, I hope wait a second. Uh, wait. <laughs> when, are we supposed to have a script or something? Are you, did you not pull up the article with all John Jones's tweets? Uh, there were a lot of articles, man. I don't know which one I'm supposed to be looking at. Okay, you're understudy, Stefan. Stefan, congratulations. You're not playing John Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Unmute yourself, Stefan. I'm dumbfounded by this opportunity. I I don't know. Do I have got the right? I don't have the right asshole for John Jones. Maybe I do. 
We'll see. Okay, what's that supposed to be? You play a prick real well, Mike. I'm playing a fat light heavyweight, so call it a day. All right. How about someone send me the link and I'll, I'll hook it up. All right. Steph, just take that line of coke real quick, and it's called method acting. You'll be right <laughs> in the mindset. Yeah, I gotta get real into it. Uh, we let me. I gotta go hit a pregnant woman outside real quick. Mike, I put I'll it in the. I put it in the right mode. I put it in the hangouts chat, Mike. Also, and for some reason, I'm really mad at Luke Thomas, and I don't want to talk to that guy. Oh God, he still doesn't know why. That's the best part. Luke's like, I don't know what I did. <laughs> I think John Jones has been listening to MMA podcasts ever since he's been suspended all these times. Mike, you ready? Mike's muted himself, so this is all fun for everybody involved. I'm not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, you really got me looking here. Shit. All right. All right, this is not that complicated. I'm going to say the platform thing. You give your response. I'm going to give my response. Then you go on an angry rant of four of them. Okay? Does that work for you? All right. Um, all right, so Daniel Cormier, uh, I'll give you a nice paraphrasing of this. Uh, what he said on the MMA or whatever, the new MMA hour, the aerial show, where he said, uh, I, uh, I don't want to give John Jones any attention. He doesn't have a platform right now, and he won't be getting one right now while I, uh, I'm i out here trying to become a, make history as a dual champion. John, your response. Oh, God. I have to get Mike. in character. I have to get in character. Give me a second. Uh-huh. Hitting Mike's pregnant doing- bitches, dick this pills, is- cocaine. This is like some fucking the okay. room shit, this acting level. Okay, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I don't have a platform, DC. That just sounds dumb. Even after years of suspension, I have just as much, if not more, of a platform than you. Everyone you win gets on, goes on my resume. You know who you dreaming about at night. I'm sure your wife knows too. John, you're a bitch. <laughs> you, you're one now, always been one. Sit back and watch me be great. Steroid cheat. Let's not talk about wives, man. Come on. I'm sure with all the shit you've done, I could get a conversation from your wife. I mean, your girlfriend, baby mama. I don't know. That was bad. That was that was the worst DC. That was, that was horrible. I don't have a DC. I got Bobby doing a voice. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean your DC was bad. I meant that was just horrible with DC side. Yeah, John Jones brought up his other guy's wife. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know, but DC was just so much more direct about it. Yeah, you got right to the fucking point. Talking about the man's wife. There's more, John. <laughs> I don't know. That article you sent me don't got shit except that, man. Dude, scroll the fuck down. This is like the, oh, my God. <laughs> Mike wasn't ready for this moment. Oh, my God. I wasn't. Where we at? <laughs> I first thought you were trying to convince the fans I beat you because of performance-hanting drugs, but now I'm pretty sure you've convinced yourself, too. Winky, laughing, crying face. Keep doing that. Good I thing say again, do- the MMA Junkie article you sent me does not have this. Just saying. Now you're interrupting the actor. Stefan, go I'm ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Good thing for you. The next time we fight, I'll be all cleaned up. Let's see you dominate me this time since I cheated the first two. Crying, laughing face, thumbs up. Good luck in your next fight. I've always wanted to be heavyweight champ. Who's your daddy? Oh, shit. Yeah, and then later on, Mr. Jones questions while we're asking if the DC's the GOAT. Well, D- DC makes a good point. He's, uh, he says if he's in the conversation... Does that make me the motherfucking man? Because when we had our who is the goat conversation, I said one cheating asshole son of a bitch named John Jones. 
This is like the most disjointed segment I've ever put together on this podcast. <laughs> and that's saying something. Um, yeah, man, these guys look. I'm not saying DC brings the worst out of John Jones, but we know damn sure John Jones brings the worst out of DC, guys, right? Because DC out there normally in his sweats, like his his sweater tucked into his sweatpants, you know, his socks, his his sweatpants tucked into his socks, like the old wrestling coach running down for a fight. He goes just like he can't. Man, I'm just gonna say this, Marcus. John Jones, John Jones lives rent free inside of DC's head, and he's building he's building fucking additions to that house. I I, I don't know. I I I kind of just think like DC's just hot on higher ground. Like John Jones can talk all this shit he wants, but like dude's life. We we talked about it as nauseum. Like he's his own worst enemy. It's just like I have no. I can't. I can't read John Jones tweaks and be like, oh man, this guy. He's really clowning DCs because, like, dude, you fucked up your own life. Like, don't even, like, in, you know what? Stop engaging in Twitter. Get your fucking shit together. Because he should already be, he literally, John Jones could be heavyweight champion and light heavyweight champion at the same time right now. Fuck Conor McGregor. I'm doing it and I'm defending We could, both we could have done this like four years ago. But instead, like he keeps fucking up his life, and then he gets in these little like Twitter tiffs. And like, if you're if you're gonna look to me and be like, "Oh man, isn't John Jones clowning on DC?" He's like, "No, man, this fucker can't get his life straight. He needs to reprioritize what's going on and what he's putting on the pedestal." Because, like like Steph talked about, probably one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen of all time, and he is fucking himself up. And literally, you just want to go to this guy and be like, shake him and be like, "Dude." I mean- just get it together. I mean, Marcus, I mean, there's a, we're, we're way past this guy going for, like, anything. He's literally fighting for achievement. Not only achievement, for leg, uh, legacy right now. He's achieved what he's going to, like, he's just, we're, we're, he's just trying to stack up the career. To be, to prove, he's not trying to be one of the greats. He's trying to be the greatest. And he fucks it up on a level that is impressive. Like, the fact that Mighty Mouse broke this record and he didn't is mind-boggling to me. And I like, think, well, do you remember, we used, to talk, we used to talk about how, like, Anderson, his record's not going to last for, uh, like, that long, because John Jones is going to come take that shit. Like, it wasn't a question. And and I think, for, for me, it's just like, I'm so hard on John Jones, and this is coming from a guy who does not care about steroids at all. Like, I don't, I don't care when guys, like, do steroids and pop, but it's just like, if you're going to be this big of a narcissist and just talk about how, oh, I'm the greatest shit, man, you, you know, I cheated those last two times, you'd be, it's like, Dude, I can't take it. It's not even because it's not even just the steroids. Like I almost can take steroids, right? It's like you can't not keep fucking yourselves over in new creative ways. Like he's so innovative, not just in the cage and just like how to sabotage himself. I mean, it's just it's incredible also because you look at the man and I'm looking like you look at the murderer, like who he's. These are the people John Jones beat uh, since his last loss to Matt Hamill. Brandon Vera, Matt Yashenko, Ryan Bader, Shogun Hua. Quentin Jackson, Leota Machida, Rashad Evans, Vitor Barfelfort, Chael Sonnen, Alexander Gustafson, Glover Teixeira, Daniel Cormier, Ovin St. Pru, and a no contest to Daniel Cormier. That is a level of like, there are no fucking cupcakes. And, and like, at, and it's like whole legacy. Time, he put his whole legacy into question. We're just on a rant now, but it's Mark, you made a good point. Like, this is. But, and at the same time, too, he even says, like, oh, I beat all these guys. And I wasn't even training. And 
as a fan, you can even tell like, in some of these fights, John Jones doesn't even seem like he's trying that hard. And if he was really putting the time in the gym to really kind of elevate himself, like he could be so much better than he already is because we still see holes in his game. Dude doesn't use utilize a jab very well. Thank God he figured out that lead uh, left uh, elbow that he started doing on Rashad. That's a really good weapon he's been able to utilize. But like if this guy put in the time, cleaned up his life, you know, who knows what he could be at. So when he gets in these tiffs about like, People talking to DC and telling him how great DC is, and then he has to kind of jump on that and be like, no, nah, man, why are you talking about me? And it's like, because you fucked up yourself. You had your chance. You were in the spotlight. You had it all in the grasp of your hand. The whole world was there. And instead of just taking it and holding it and cherishing it, you threw it away because it's like, I don't want to fuck around and have fun and party. And I get it. Like, he's a young guy. He gets a bunch of money. He didn't have the role models, role models in place to kind of tell him and kind of groom him to be like, look at you have the opportunity of a lifetime. You're a young athlete in your prime and you're killing it in your sport. You could go, if he had the motivation that like Conor McGregor had, who knows how far this guy could have gotten, right? But he's got sidelines, all this stuff. So when he gets in these fights, like I just can't, I can't read what he writes and be like, oh man, he's right in DC's head. Like, sure he is. Because, we're too far, we're too far down the hole now, huh? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make I a difference. Too, like he, he totally is because DC's just that competitor that like you, you can tell every time he lost those fights, they didn't just like hurt his like ego. They crushed him. Like he was just destroyed as a person after losing those fights. And it, it's easy why John Jones can keep pushing those buttons. But it's just like for me, it's just like for so long, I just want you to get over that hurdle. And when you say that, like, oh, I'm taking everything seriously now, I'm going to train harder, you know, and then and then like I in a couple of times, like I, I believe him. Like he seems legitimate. Like he's actually learned his lesson and he continues to not. It's like, I can't take it seriously anymore, you know? Give me give me two years where he's an active fighter and doesn't get caught with something or doesn't, you know, crash into someone's car or do something stupid, and then I can start to believe again. But it's like right now, like, this dude can't get together. So, like, just stay off Twitter because even though you're right, you're probably the best fighter of the... You know, um, you know, we also don't even right. know when this guy's going to come back. Um, DC so did I, mention... I, what I, you want. I, have, I have one question, though. Um... I agree that DC probably should have just taken the high road, not even really mentioned anything about John Jones because he talked about um, not giving John Jones the platform. Then he should have just left it at that. Like, you know what? I don't want to talk about John Jones. I don't want to give him a platform. Should have left it at that. But he did, he did mention some things that do give you pause for thought. And we've thought this about Anderson Silva, especially after the dick pill uh, punishment and then the actual just like steroid punishment. That Anderson Silva, and for a large extent as well, John Jones dominated in the pre-Usada era. And DC did mention that as soon as Usada started, John Jones has been, uh, what was it? The whole thing around the cocaine thing before the first DC fight that was a little fishy. Um, then he only had the one fight against OSP that there was no speculation about anything there. And he looked not great in that fight. And then besides that, the only other fight he's had was a no contest. So he's only really fought in once since the USADA era has started. So is there a thing of, well, maybe it's that he can't get his shit together. Is there, I mean, at this point, we have no heroes in this life. You know, you got to suspect everybody. So is it possible that he was juicing the whole time as well? I mean, and just, this is the, and now that he's clean, he can't really say healthy. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think it makes you, I mean, stay healthy. Well, you got to think that maybe one of the reasons, 
I don't even know if I believe that it was unintentional this last time. Maybe he just can't stay off it. Maybe he I just he I, needs it. I mean, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. At this point, I mean, this is my. I mean, this is really it's fundamentally this for me with steroids. I'm past the point of arguing whether it was a, it made them good or great. You agree to do A, B, and C, and one of those things is not test po- is not test positive. You're not even agreeing not to do them. You're agreeing not to test positive. You find a way to test positive. I don't. That's it. Like, there's no point of having the conversation about like the morality of it. It's just you did it. Like, that's. A, I think Mark's at that point also now when we like he's just like you're doing something that doesn't let you fight. I don't care about whether or what it is. You know, you don't get to do this, and you did it, and you keep doing it like a fucking idiot. So, I mean, look, he brought, Don, uh, DC said he wants to fight Brock Lesnar and John Jones. He says he's got this fight and two more left. He thinks he's, he's going to retire next March. So, that'd be cool. He means it. <laughs> and he's, if that trajectory works, I'm totally down for that. I, I could see a DC <laughs> in the weird reality where DC beats Stipe, which we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, and I think that's a tall task, but doable if he does that. And then maybe fights Brock. I would, I would I would want him to fight Brock. It depends whose suspension's up first. Let's be honest. True, but what I would I mean in an ideal world, I would like DC in in the fairy tale to have his last fight against John Jones at heavyweight. And if he won that, that would be that would be you know the fairy tale, right? Like he gets his he gets his validation at the weight class he started at, or maybe he should have been fighting this whole time. Um, that would be a fun story. <laughs> There's a lot of what ifs that have to take place before that. No, I, honestly, I also think like it's going to be really hard for them to pass up John Jones versus Brock Lesnar first. I think that has to happen because they both want. That's down. Um, let's get into Rashad Evans. Um, Rashad Evans, the second ever, the, the, the second he won season two of the Ultimate Fighter, not the second ever winner because I guess that's technically Diego Sanchez. Or he won. Who won first, Diego or Forrest? Technically, the second winner would have been Forrest yeah. and, and Bonner. They, the they man who won. See, the, but we're talking about the man who won season two of the Ultimate Fighter at heavyweight when he weighed like two hundred and fifteen pounds, kind of chubby. Um, Rashad Evans, former UFC light heavyweight champion, announced today that it was the uh, he he we'd seen his last fight, which something we'd all kind of thought for a while when you start losing to people like Dan Kelly. Uh, Rashad is kind of been a polarizing figure at times with MMA. And um, quite frankly, I think a lot of that has to do with what happened on The Ultimate Fighter, where Matt Hughes, of all people, said that Rashad was cocky. Matt Hughes said that, folks. Now that we all know more about Matt Hughes now. I'm just saying. Matt Hughes said that because Rashad was having the most boring fight anybody could imagine while dancing. Um, had some stinkers of decisions here or there. He was also on the less the non-fan favorite side of the Rampage feud. Um, so a lot of times Rashad kind of got like a bad rap with people. Um, Stefan, I'm looking for Stefan to bring up a very famous moment he got in the crowd, which made us both laugh quite a bit. Um, but the man won the UFC light heavyweight title at a time where nobody could hold it for more than one fight. Took it off of Forrest Griffin at UFC 92. Um, fight where he lost the first couple rounds and then decided, fuck this. I'm going to put Forrest on his ass and beat him up. Which was nice to see. Uh, lost it against Leota Machida at UFC 97, I believe. 98, my bad. Um, came back, was going to fight Quentin, didn't fight Quentin, fought Quentin. Had a non, had a three-round non-pay-per-view uh, main event, a pay-per-view that did over a million pay-per-view buys. 
which was pretty, which is pretty damn rare for one where it was just headlined by two black athletes in general, um, especially in MMA. Uh, fought John Jones. They had that feud. Didn't go so well for him in that fight. Hung around for a bit, but um, clearly a legend. Um, it's going to be one of those guys where it's like, it's like all MMA guys. They go out with like five straight losses, makes the record look worse. Um, Stefan, um, your thoughts on Rashad Evans? Um, the man, the career, the type of fighter, what we expect from him, you know, in the future? Um, sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure the moment that you were referring to is the uh, classic UFC, let's go and see who's in the crowd shot. And uh, Yes, sir. It was on Forrest Griffin, you know, tough winner. And, like, I don't know if he was champion at that point or whatever or had been, but, you know, people see Forrest, like, general crowd reaction. Hey, it's going great. Shifts one person over. Rashad Evans suddenly arraigned a sea of booze. And then Rashad, he just looks confused by it. He's just like, what the hell? Like, he was surprised. He was genuinely surprised that everyone was going to boo him. And then it wide pans out, and then you just see Forrest Griffin laughing his ass off next to Rashad. <laughs> Rashad is just looking confused, like like a wounded dog. Like, what the hell? Forrest is getting a kick out of it. Stefan, let me before you continue. Let me ask: Was that your favorite crowd shot, or is it the one with BJ Penn and BJ Penn's wife, or now wife? Uh, as as a person who appreciates uh, beauty, it, it's uh, BJ Penn and his wife. Uh, we didn't know. We didn't know that it was just... I'm actually really happy that that ended up being BJ's wife and not just, you know, some girl he saw for a moment. I like that that became the mother of his children and everything. But, um, I mean, that was more unexpected to me. The other one's funnier, sure. But, I mean, those are the two moments. You, you don't got to... Uh, what's it called? Split hairs. But um, to your other point, Rashad, uh, I've always been a fan of him. Uh, him retiring now to me is, frankly, a few fights late. I wish he went out sooner. I wish he went out, you know, when he started falling from the top. Um, of course, we always say it's, it's it's a long fall down from greatness. It's, it's really hard. When you've been great, it's tough to acknowledge that it's over. But I wish, you know, I wish his last opponents, you know, were known ranked fighters, that his last fights came on main cards. Um, seeing him this close to the bottom is a sad thing, you know. Um, and he's had a long trajectory, He's one of the biggest what-ifs of MMA all time is uh, what if Diego Sanchez doesn't roll into his leg and he gets the title shot that he was supposed to get and John Jones doesn't skip ahead in the line. Like, that was a big what-if. You know, and uh, you, you mentioned he had this thing about being cocky. I think the hindsight of time and race relations shows, like, if you really thought Rashad Evans was a cocky asshole and you hated him for it, you hated something else about him, too. Um, cause Matt Hughes certainly did. Cause, uh, yeah, I'll be like, he's pretty tame by a lot of the things we seem to tolerate nowadays. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. Do, do you feel all- also, Stefan, like I feel at times with Rashad, like the times he tried to fight a conservative fight was somehow like the worst timing possible. Like I remember you and I were in LA for this one where we went to, we remember we found a random sports bar where Rashad's coming off the ultimate fighter and he's fighting Tiago Alva, Tiago Silva. And people are loving him because Rashad seemed like a nice guy, you know, especially with Rampage bailing and stuff. And he fought like two rounds of like just laying and praying Tiago Silva. And by the end of it, he was getting booed. Uh, another one was when he fought Quentin. We're all we're all excited for a goddamn brawl. And, Ra- and Rashad smartly is like, I'm going to put Rampage's lazy ass on his on his back for three rounds. It's almost like it exacerbated the situation with him being having boring fights at times where people were really just 
expecting more from him. <laughs> I mean, there's that, and then just certain fighters get away with it, right? GSP did that for God knows how long, and we gave him a pass, you know? But when Rashad did it, it was suddenly the worst. And it's at the same time, as like, you couldn't blame him for a lot of the times he did it, because his nickname was Sugar. He discovered he had power in his hands, and he fell in love with that for a minute. And he got starched, and he got starched silly for it, you know? So you don't want to keep getting starched. So he adjusted his game plan according. He, he went back and he knew his strength was as a wrestler. He knew what Rampage's only shot was and what almost happened in that fight. You know, Rampage, if he had five more seconds of stamina to actually time those ground and pound punches, he probably knocks out Rashad. The moment Rashad actually wanted to stand. So it's when you see things like that, how can you be mad that he laid and prayed? The other outcome was him losing. Like... That's just being unreasonable fans, but you know, it's he, he's always been a bright dude. So I'm I'm hoping he has a continued career um, as a, in broadcasting. He I like him as a personality. Like you you said, Bob, I I think he's a genuinely good dude. Um, you know, like he he talks shit in a competitive way. I don't think he ever talks shit in a super low blow way. Um, I like him, but he 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 was starting to lose a lot. And if I want to keep seeing him as a commentator, then I definitely don't want to see him keep fighting because. He wasn't losing closely. He wasn't losing competitively. And they were just becoming more increasingly unknown opponents. Um, Mike, um, your MMA fandom, uh, as I've mentioned many times, really came out of uh, we were living together and me getting you on the Ultimate Fighter Rampage versus Rashad season. Um, Kimbo having a lot of help with that, quite frankly. Um, what was your initial impression of Mr. Evans? And what did you uh, where did you end up going with him, you know, in, in terms of your... Uh, fandom i guess well my initial impression of uh, rashad evans was he was an entertaining guy and frankly that's because that season of the ultimate fighter when it came to the interactions between the two coaches was some of the most entertaining um i think that there's ever been in tough uh i think besides that um before the ultimate fighter the only other fight i think i had seen him in was the fight against uh was it against Lyoto Machida so it wasn't exactly a very uh <laughs> glowing um impression of his uh of his MMA skills uh considering the first fight I think I remember seeing of him was when he got starched by Machida but you know you go back and you watch his other fights and you saw that he started off as a very short and pudgy heavyweight and uh then he went down to the division where he had his most success, you know, and eventually winning the championship at 205. You know, like you guys touched touched on, in a very, I think, minor way, he was the uh, precursor to what John Jones would be in a, in a few ways. Um, and you saw a lot of the influence on John when when John was first starting out, even the, uh, the, the crouching thing that uh, John Jones does. He got that from uh, Rashad Evans. Um you know, the last person who ever knows that they should retire is normally the athlete. And you see that reflected in the fact that Rashad Evans hung on for, you know, maybe three years more than he should have. Um, you know, you got to dis kind of discount his last few years and just remember what he was during his prime. And, you know, he was a really good fighter. Um, hats, off to, hats off to Rashad. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll see him on the desk a bunch of places. Marcus, uh, what were your thoughts? I mean, beyond just, you know, this is probably for the best, but what did you think about, you know, Rashad now having time to reflect about his career? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I was never like a very big Rashad Evans fan um, for a lot of reasons. Like you guys said, there was long stints in his career where his performances just weren't, you know, the most action packed. But of course, he, you know, when he knocked out Chuck Liddell, that was an awesome fight. And when he beat um, Forrest Griffin, those were some, you know, really big highlights. But they were marred with, um, you know, not being able to stay at the top for a, you know, significant amount of time, which it, during that time in the light heavyweight division was a very difficult thing to do. Um, and then the wheels kind of fell off, right? Uh, for me, uh, what I always will kind of like take away from Rashad is I think he, I don't think he's the first guy to do it, but he was. I think I think Kenny might have been the first, but he was one of the first guys to kind of make that transition from being a fighter into being a commentator, and I think that's really cool. I really like how there's this other avenue for some fighters, and it, it is a very select few. Um, fighters that are going to be able to make the transition from an active fighter into someone who's going to be able to commentate on the sport. And Rashad was one of those first guys to do it. And I think he kind of opened the door for a lot of other guys like Woodley and these other wrestlers who bring their own style. And and, he, and the reason why he got the job is because he does have charisma, right? He's a charismatic person. He likes talking about the fight game. He's completely able to break things down and uh, you know make it very digestible for people who might not be super familiar with the different athletes that are fighting and the different styles that they bring. I feel like he slots in pretty well into that position, and I think that's probably one of my biggest takeaways. I think his MMA career definitely had some highs, um, but the highs didn't last all that long before things started kind of going wrong, right, with either unforeseen injuries or lackluster fights or just not mentally being able to get over the hurdles for him to kind of pull the trigger more frequently and with more success than he was able to. So I think for me, kind of the big, I mean, I like the guy. I think he is personable. I think he is, uh, he can be kind of charming and funny and witty. And I think that all is my big takeaways for him is that he's one of the guys that kind of was able to successfully transition into a commentating role. And I really like that because one of the things that I'm always not like worried about, but kind of concerned with, MMA fighters in particular, but any professional athlete is just your window, especially in this sport, is very short. Um, the amount of money that you're able to generate sometimes isn't going to be enough to last you the rest of your lifetime. So you need to be able to transition. And if that's opening a gym or becoming a trainer or just, you know, being a trainer in a regular gym, just being a fitness guru or something, um, I, I just I hate seeing these guys where one, they can't transition back into normal life. Like you look at like a Mark Kerr. And that guy was just ne never able to really get over the fact that he's not a fighter anymore. And now he's selling used cars, and I think he's doing a lot better for himself. But that transition was very difficult for him. And I think it can be difficult for a lot of these guys. So I'm always happy when you see a successful MMA fighter be able to pivot and, and kind of change his career into something that he's still successful. I'm sure Rashad's making good bank doing commentary. And it's something where like he doesn't have to worry about getting punched in the head anymore, right? He's going to be able to kind of focus on doing this aspect. And whether that's going to be enough to kind of you know, financially stabilize him. I think he can also fall back on his natural gifts of being like a wrestling coach. If you want to go to Michigan State or something and be a wrestling coach there, I'm sure they'd welcome him. Or even locally at a college or a high school, um, I think he's going to be able to transition into, you know, a normal quote-unquote life uh, fairly easy. And that's why I always want to see with these guys. Yeah. I hate to see them brain damaged or financially unstable. I like to see them kind he of... He always got the impression he had a good head on his shoulders. Um, exactly. Um, as someone who was a big Quentin Jackson fan, Rashad was the bad guy in this feud. But you recognize Rashad was just a goddamn professional, man. He's professional. He treated this like a sport. Um, he kind of got that whole situation with John Jones kind of ended up rough for him. Um, 
for me though, I didn't think Rashad things weren't like done done with Rashad. I think it was after UFC one eight one sixty seven between UFC six one sixty seven and one ninety two took him two years to fight, and that's because he tore his knee like twice. And uh, I remember when he beat the shit out of Chael. You looked at Chael and you looked at Rashad. You're like, Chael has no business at with two hundred and five pounds. What the fuck are we doing? Like, well, more. So, I mean, like Chael already lost to John Jones at that point. But seriously, everybody was just like, what are we doing here? There's been a couple moments with Rashad where he just looked like a killer. Like when he came back and beat the crap out of Tito Ortiz, just kneed him in the chest and just beat his ass. That was whoo. Um, Rashad was awesome and. He's one of these guys like Michael Bisping and Diego Sanchez and a lot of guys like that where they were very important in building this sport through what I like, really the second wave, the second push after the initial one, the the tough push, really. Um, they were very instrumental in that. And they owe him a debt of gratitude forever. And they had the highest rated Ultimate Fighter season, I think, period. Like, I know the finale for the first one was nuts, but I think in terms of the entire season, everybody was watching this shit. Like... More than like a million people easily each episode was watching these episodes of Rampage and uh, Rampage and, Ch and uh, Rashad fighting, uh, bickering with each other, which really tells you because it, it took them like a year and a half to finally book the fight, and they still booked a million pay-per-views on a non-title three-round fight. So, wish the best for Rashad. Um, the people who try to get him to sign the Machida pi uh, knockout picture, you're what's wrong with like sports fans, people like you. Just know that. If you're one of those people. Those like, are called a-holes. The fact that Rashad hasn't popped off and punched one of these motherfuckers in the head is a real testament to his uh, strength of character and unwillingness to be sued, I guess. Yeah, that's um, what I was going to say. So we're going to... Okay, I talked so... Uh, happy, you know, happy retirement to Rashad Evans. I'm sure we'll see him. I always liked him and Bisping together at the desk, personally. I think it's better to have retired fighters, too. You know, just in general. It makes more sense to me. Uh... So, all right, I wanted to talk about, uh, we mentioned we're going to have a new segment on the show uh, because Memoirs of a Fight Fan, if it's not been clear, <laughs> we've been reaching a bit, guys, for topics. So I figured it'd be easier, since it's essentially a nostalgia trip for all of us anyway, to really instead, we're going to talk about some MMA history that happened in the past week, and uh, much of which Mark probably watched live, for lack of a better <laughs> Mark watched live, quite frankly, most of the stuff I'm going to talk about. And at minimum, um, Mark and Mike and Stefan and I have seen most of this stuff. Um, first one I'm going to talk about is June 19, 2008, um, where Lorenzo Fertitta stepped down from Station Casinos, which was the real family business, to focus entirely on UFC expansion. Mike, seemed like a good decision, wouldn't you say? You know, I think he turned that, what, like $10 million investment into about a bill. Oh no, two bills. Two right, bills. No, bills. So, so, sorry, no, sorry. Two bit, two million dollar investment, four billion dollar sale. Yeesh. Yeah, I think he made the right move. Um, really, Dana White has always pointed to this moment as a like it made him feel proud of what they've accomplished to see that to see Lorenzo focus on the UFC because he talked about how they were always the ugly, the, the, the redheaded stepchild of the Fertitta portfolio. But you know, two thousand eight, we're talking about. UFC 200 era, so there's that. I um, want to talk also about June 20th, 2004. Um, for the love of me, I can't. I didn't. I didn't look up the goddamn name of this Pride event. Um, I think it was Critical Countdown. Critical. <laughs> this is why. God bless you, Mark. Rampage Jackson um, fucking power bombed Ricardo Arona. 
And if you don't know what powerbomb means, you've still seen this gif. You know what it goddamn means, all right? That's a powerbomb. Uh, Quentin Jackson did that to Ricardo Arona in the middle of the middleweight Grand Prix. Uh, middleweight because in pride, uh, light heavyweights are middleweights is what they would call them. Um, on the same night, Fedor Emelianenko got dumped on his fucking head by Kevin Randleman and then somehow won the fight 30 seconds later. Marcus, um, we're talking about two of the most gifable moments of MMA history right there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was a night of you know unexpected slams and... It was really interesting. I mean, both of them were very interesting. You know, uh, Rampage's powerbomb from the triangle um, slam knockout. I I kind of hesitate to say, like, I put him on the map, but it was probably one of his most prolific stoppages. And against a guy that was, I mean, people now don't really know who Ricardo Arona is, but um, a big threat in the light heavyweight division in Pride. And, you know, someone who, who was able to be the first guy to defeat Vanderlei in Pride, uh, so this was a tough. Fight. Yeah, Marcus Arona is one of those guys where you always wondered, like, man, like this guy beat so many good people, and he just kind of disappeared one day. Yeah, he really just kind of fell off, and it's weird because he never really had the skill set that was like, oh, this guy could beat anyone anywhere. He kind of had a style that worked well against uh, Vanderlei, and he was a he was a great jujitsu guy, but he, his stand up lacked a little bit. He kind of had the uh, Verdum kind of style of just bull rushing people. He had his chin fucking straight up in the air anytime he's fought but this was a tough fight for rampage he was even though he was on top you know he, he wasn't doing great he was about to get triangled and this big powerbomb slam it, it's really interesting you know you look at the gif now and it kind of it, at the time it definitely seemed like the slam knocked him out but uh closer evaluation of the tape you clearly see that on the way down to the contact they actually clash heads and that's what knocked out arona and cut the fuck up out of uh, uh quentin jackson's face but, uh, yeah, one of his, his biggest wins to date for sure. And then, you know, coming off that fight was in the beginning of the event. The main event was uh, Kevin Randleman versus uh, Fedor Emelianenko. And, again, just, a, I mean, probably one of the most spectacular German suplexes I've ever seen. Where literally, not only does Kevin Randleman just pick up Fedor like he's a rag doll. He slant the motion of this German suplex. At one moment, both guys are in the fucking air. No one's feet's on the ground. And uh, what makes it even more spectacular is that he basically do gets dropped like on his fucking dome. Fader kind of just rolls through it, gets on top. Kimura, it's over. Um, and he was he's been able to kind of do that, you know, early on in his career where it looked like dudes in trouble, and he just. He snatches victories from the claws of defeat. And, I yeah, mean, Marcus, I, Marcus, I also want to ask you, because I'm just looking at this card right now, by the way. Rodrigo Noguera versus Heath Herring. You, how fucking cocksure were you that Heath Herring was going to take this fucking fight, though? Against or was the, that you? There, this there was, was one the, fight. Oh, that's the Fedor one. God damn it. Never say, mind, people. Yeah, I was going to say Heath and Noguera, besides the first fight, he really wasn't in any of those <laughs> other ones. I think this fight was actually the first time. I mean, again, I mean... That's what's kind of fun about some of these pride events. A lot of shit gets popping off on these. So not only do you have a big power bomb slam that was spectacular, not only do you have a German suplex, but uh, Big Nog basically pulls off the first Anaconda choke. As far as I'm concerned, ever. I've never seen it before. Um, I mean, maybe it's been done in some jujitsu uh, tournaments and maybe on smaller cards this submission had been utilized before, but I've never seen it before. So to have Heath Herring shoot a double, get sprawled on, and then this dude kind of rolls and gets in a fucking choke, I was like, I didn't know that was a position you could get a choke from. So uh, just again, you know, a lot of things just kind of change in the game. And it's just kind of what made Pride fun. You know, you never knew yeah, I mean, what you're going to get tell, in the event. 
we want to tell people, if you haven't seen you have a Pride Critical Countdown 2004, real quickly, these are the fights. Fedor, Kevin Randleman, Rodrigo Noguera, Heath Herring, uh, Yoshida, Mark Hunt, uh, Ogawa versus uh, Silva. Don't know those two gentlemen too much. Sergey Haratana versus Semi Schilt. Quentin Jackson, Ricardo Arona. And then uh, Kazushi Sakuraba versus Antonio uh, Shembri. That's Nino Shembri, right? Yeah. Some of those not the greatest. I think the I'm Silva just saying we got one god we got one goddamn decision yeah. in this whole thing. So um Yeah, that was uh Pride Critical Countdown 2004. Also happening this week, Stefan, we got um two days ago was the sixteenth anniversary of the time Don Fry and uh what's Takayama's first name? That's that's gotta uh, be Yoshihiro. Yoshihiro, uh maybe. Okay. Takayama and Don Fry. Got in a fucking hockey fight, Stefan. That's the um the pro wrestler with the ear, right? Like uh yeah, that was gnarly. Um yeah, that's whenever they show pride, that's one of the go to highlights. And that is just them grabbing each other by the collar and punching away. Um I cannot Mark would know. I mean we gotta bring Mark back in for all things pride, but like how did that fight end? I can't even recall how it ended. All I remember is that just I think the rounds ended and they came back and they just did it again, right? I don't know if it, it went. I don't it, think went it went six minutes. Yeah, it didn't go to the. But it pretty round. much is. They, they they run towards each other, beat each other up, and then they get to catch their breath and they are beating each other up and they catch their breath. They beat each other up and eventually one okay. guy had hamburger meat for a face. <laughs> Caught their breath. That's what it was. At, at one point, I believe Don uh, elects to use both fists and he hits them with a left and right combination, and Takayama's like, whoa, I didn't know this was happening, and then I think he uh, surcame to the uh, damage done. Um, as far as I can remember, I think he basically does drop at some point, and uh, he gets the win there, but literally, it's one of those fights that you watch it, and you almost think, like, wait, is this a gif? Because, like, they're doing the same thing for, like, 30 seconds, like, on end. It just looks like it's repeating. Um, it's crazy, you know, and um, we talk about... Um, God, but how do you say his last name? Takayama. I mean, Takayama. I was gonna say, um, not to bring the mood down, but I talked about it when it happened. What had Takayama last year? Um, went for a sunset flip. He still wrestled because Takayama's a big deal, uh, especially like he trained a lot of these famous wrestlers you see on TV today. Quite frankly, went for a sunset flip, which makes no fucking sense at his size. Landed on his dome, paralyzed. Um, so he's had a real rough go of it. And if you want to contribute, you can find there's a. I think a GoFundMe out there um, that's really He's trying still to take care of him. Paralyzed, right? Like he has yeah. recovered. Yeah. There's a um, Minoru Suzuki um, created a foundation. Actually, it's called Takayama Mania, Takayamania, and it's really just trying to help for the medical cause. Because like, I mean, again, but like, I, you know, he's a real legend. It's more so in Japanese wrestling, quite frankly, than MMA. They're not the most stellar MMA career, he, but I, I think he kind of had a, and I think the Takayama mania kind of alludes to it. He kind of had like a Hulk Hogan kind of thing going on, but it wasn't like Hulk Hogan is kind of like the good guy. You look at Takayama's face, that guy looks like the most grizzled, fucked up Yakuza guy. Like you don't want to walk in an alleyway with this dude because his face, even before the Don Fry fight, looks like he's gotten in those kind of fist fights throughout his career. His whole face is munched up and just looking like. This dude, he might not be, like, the most, like, dangerous dude in the world, like, when it comes to fighting and stuff, but that dude will fucking rumble with anybody. Um, and, and just, yeah, it, horrible what happened to him and that, you know, he still hasn't been able to recover. And he may never recover because um, he, he's really just given his life to entertainment 
but also just being like a tough badass motherfucker. So um, hats off. Yeah. For sure. Hey, Bobby, could you also explain to me what a sunset flip is? Okay, so um, let's say uh, you know when someone gets thrown against the ropes. Sure. Okay, so you whip somebody against the ropes, and because this is pro wrestling, they have to run back, right? Okay. So you let's say you throw me into the ropes and you duck your head because you're gonna flip me over or something, okay? Me noticing that as a reversal, you're bent over. I try to somersault over you, okay, and then hook your legs and bring you down for a pinfall. Okay. It's not the thing, it's not what you do when you're as big as Takayama. Let's put it that way, okay? You're a smaller guy, you do shit like that. Which I don't know. Um he was wrestling a DDT, and DDT is a very weird promotion. It's very and Japanese wrestling also. That shit, your neck does not end up okay when that's over. Uh so yeah, um also this week, um and Mike, I'm gonna get your thoughts on this because it was a ten years ago, uh ten oh sorry, eight years no, yeah, ten uh nine years ago. Uh, Diego Sanchez and Clay Guida had a fucking insane fight where they just stood in front of I'm I honestly think I watched this with you, but I don't remember. Maybe not. We definitely uh, talked about it. Maybe not. It's in June. I probably didn't because we would have been out of law school by then. So you were, yeah. you were back home. But this was the one where like Diego Sanchez was one win away from a title shot. And him and Clay Guida just beat the fuck out of each other. Like at one point, he kicks Clay Guida shin to dome, full force. Guida goes down like a sack of potatoes, but still recovers. So, uh, Mike, if you remember this fight, your thoughts. But at minimum, shit, man, nine years later, these dudes are still like this, huh? <laughs> uh, I don't remember watching this fight when it happened because I don't think I was still immersed into MMA yet. But I have watched it. I remember watching it before Diego Sanchez fought BJ Penn. And thinking, oh, wait, maybe this Diego guy is going to have a chance because I still had no idea about BJ Penn at that point. Uh, yeah, it was an insane fight. Uh, Diego and Clay Guido were both right at their primes. Uh, they were both legitimate title contenders. Uh, Diego Sanchez actually fought for the title. Um, and amazingly, both of these guys are still fighting now. Uh, it's, it's really a sight to behold. I remember at the time, um, it was like people were surprised Diego could hit 155. Because Diego was a big guy. Um, he was a fighting it. He won. Did he win the Ultimate Fighter at 185? That is correct. I mean, shit, exactly. I mean, he was a then, really soft 185er. Yeah, I mean, still. But Diego was like, once he didn't and, lose uh, at once. Another caveat he did fight Kenny Florian at 185. So, I mean, you want to talk about someone who's really. That was a fair point. played at 185er, too. So, but yeah, in general, like, Diego was a. I mean,. Diego Sanchez, um, people like at this point with Diego Sanchez, it's kind of like he's been done and you felt that way for, I want to say the last five years. People have been like, oh yeah, Diego Sanchez is done. He's shopworn. There was a time with Diego Sanchez um, where this motherfucker's record was, you know, 21 and two going into a BJ Penn fight and he was, you know, smoking people. You know, he'd only, he'd only lost fights at welterweight to Josh Koscheck and John Fitch. So... When he went out there to fight BJ, BJ Penn, there were people who thought, like, based on fights like with Clay Guida, where he went three hard rounds of Clay Guida, they're like, Diego doesn't get tired. And BJ Penn gets tired all the fucking time. And performances like this were, one, were things that made people think, like, maybe he can go out there and take, you know, take the title off of uh, Baby J. I mean, he, he couldn't. We saw that real quickly. But this was also just an incredible fight. I think they might have won fight of the year in some publications. Um, 
So yeah, I think that's the most of the news we that's the news we got this past week. So if uh, uh, if Stefan wants to honor me having a tangentially relevant answer, I can hook you guys up with two. Go ahead, Mike. They're kind of combat related, not combat Shoot. sports, but for sure combat. This is the segment we're gonna call. Bobby w- was introducing a segment that was moments in MMA history, and in the group chat, Mike came up with moments in history. Period. Well, I, I, I'm going to give you guys the one I gave in the group chat, but then I, I got another one as well. So the one I'll give you real quick was that, what is that? Is that 69? 68 years ago. 68 years ago, the Korean War started. So there goes that. And exactly 140 years ago. So we are celebrating the 140th death day of Major custard no is it major or general custard general custard died today 140 years ago at little bighorn in montana mike has figured out the wikipedia section where it tells you what's happening on this date in history i actually no i looked it up i like i looked up something today and i actually just saw that like in happenstance well all right uh, custer a hero or a monster of history uh he's an idiot uh, also, another fun fact, um, he was actually um, the lowest-ranked graduating person in his class in West Point, and the only reason why they passed him was because they needed officers for the Civil War. I mostly just like the answer, he's an idiot. <laughs> he gonna, he's an idiot, but we're going to celebrate his name. <laughs> So basically, had it not been for the fact that the Yankees needed some dudes against the Confederates, uh, probably wouldn't have made it in the army. You need bodies, baby. That's a real grim proposition right there. So uh, um, do we do we have names for the segment? Because I thought of one. I, think I was going to say, do we have a name? Right? <laughs> I mean, as, uh, someone's got to remember the name of this thing, too. God knows we can't remember anything else on this podcast. All right. What do you got, Mark? I got that was this week. okay i might need you to say that every week (laughs) what do you got let's let's no no i'm not saying it's bad i just need you to i just i'm gonna gonna, gonna, you might have some you might have some gold we don't we don't even know yet Uh, how about stuff we know we got stuff we like how about stuff we know i had to look this up we didn't know it (laughs) well you never know anything until you look (laughs) it up (laughs) Stefan, say it again. Well, it's just stuff that happened. That's not even a name. I'm just literally <laughs> describing what we're talking about. And that's I mean, we, we, stuff that happened. I like that, like, you know, our first name is something with stuff we like. And then Stefan came out with the classy memoirs of a fight fan. And then we might go back to this shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate that. <laughs> I like that happened this week. <laughs> You guys don't have Mark's facial expression that went with that. It's a problem. Oh, you hear it. I can... It's in the inflection. You get it. <laughs> um, before we go to stuff we like, um, first of all, I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. Um, and we're going to try to do it every week because God knows this sport's old enough and something happened every goddamn day. And give you, you know, to find you some interesting stuff that happened this past week. And if you got Fight Pass, go look up some of these events, man. And if you don't have Fight Pass, go buy the DVDs or <clears throat> MMA Core. You know, go watch these fights. Find a way. All right. <laughs> um. So, uh, Bellator put out some news today, um, where they announced um, that in San. Well, they put, put a couple days ago. It kind of came out that the San Jose event on September 29th 
would be headlined by uh, Gegard Mousasi defending his middleweight title against the welterweight champion Rory McDonald. Um, with the co-main event being the fourth matchup between Quentin Jackson and Vanderlei Silva. Though Quentin Jackson was kind enough to point out today that he is no longer a light heavyweight. So Vanderlei should probably stop, you know, dieting too. We're getting to a heavyweight fight. Yeah, I don't see that at least being that, the roadblock. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say let's get that rumble. Let's get that uh, rampage weight, that cruiserweight title. Let's put a belt up there, Bellator man. Two hundred and twenty pounds. Let Quentin defend it. All right. And then they also announced they're gonna have a four-man uh, welterweight tournament um, with the four co- competitors. Though nobody's agreed to this yet, but they appear to be uh, Rory McDonald, not Rory McDonald, um, MVP Paul Daly, Diego. Uh, or Douglas Lima and uh, Anthony Kore- or what the fuck's Koreshkov's first name? Andre Koreshkov. Okay. Yeah, Andre. Can I make a guarantee about that tournament? Someone else is gonna win it. No, is that if all four of those enter, uh, MVP and Paul Daly are not on the same side against each other? I swear to God, if they don't book that fucking fight, they'll be because on the sides, and one of them will not hold their end of the bargain. Do you know what they're gonna? They're, do you know what their logic, Scott Coker's logic, is gonna be? It's gonna be like, well, we've already seen Lima versus Koreshkov. I don't give a fuck, all right? I don't give a fuck. And the fact that I haven't seen Paul Daly versus MVP, we're, how many years into this are we? Like, what? these are Bellator guys. We're at least two years into this shit that I haven't seen this fight, all right? I, 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 wanna, I thought you said that maybe Fitch was in it too, and I was like, Coco's going to be like, let's roll back that Paul Daly-Fitch fight. You guys loved it. <laughs> we're doing it again. It's like, no, please well, stop. All right, dude, look, both all four. Fitch reps San Jose, and you want to get Fitch that win, give him Paul Daly. Fish got booed in San Jose. Um, this is an awesome card, assuming those two fights, they, had, they booked the two welterweight fights, along with the sadness of Quinton and Randerley and the awesomeness of Gegard versus Rory McDonald, Mike. I mean, this is this is what we want. Yeah, Mike nothing, says, <laughs> nothing says MMA in 2018 like Vanderlei Rampage 4. All right, Mike's going with the negative approach. Stefan, the rest of the card, though, pretty positive. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. It's such a Scott Coker move that this card would be in San Jose. Um, I'm not complaining. Uh, someone born in San Jose lives very close to. Uh, yeah, it's strike force all over again, baby. We're going to go for that three-person press credential, guys. See how that goes. And if it doesn't, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, we all sit in like the 15th row for 40 yeah, bucks. Yeah, we're you know saying regardless we, we, if we get we call- creds or not. Yeah, I'm going to this. This is awesome. I am 100% in. I've never seen Quentin fight. I don't care how sad it is. I'd like to check the Quentin Jackson box off my card, okay? I, In that case, I hope we get the fattest version. Of oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're pretty promised on that one. Dude, just give me any... Like, you gotta give him a number to hit, and that number can't be 265. Alright? <laughs> like, you gotta give me, like... Come on, man. Like, okay, 235. Jack, I want him fighting in one division, and that's called open weight. Dude, I'm the only one who watched a Rampage reality show, I think. Did you guys watch any of that? When Rampage had a reality show? No. No. What am I Where thinking is- of when Rampage was swimming, and then his coach was like, oh, you beat your best time, and then he was all mad at himself that he went too fast? I think that was uh, Embedded or one of those okay, things. Was, uh, not embedded. Whatever. Uh, Countdown or the other ones. Pro- whatever those, what those ones are called. The other ones that just focus on the one guys. Um, this was the one where Rampage was just dodging training. And, like, this he, this English dude that was living with him, I think I'm not sure if he still fights in Bellator, uh, Gavin Tucker, I think, where, like, he would he turned to the camera crew and said, you know where Quentin is? We're supposed to be training. This is bullshit. 
And a Rampage is trying to get a rap song going. Like, he's like, he's trying to rap at a studio. And I'm like, this is the saddest fucking thing ever. They aired like two episodes and then they realized that everybody was better than this. Uh, yeah, this is as good as Bellator can do, I think, more or less. Gegard versus uh, Rory McDonald. Come on now. Sounds like it's a fucking sweet fight. Um, we'll see. Also, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to go to UFC. I try to go. I already bought a plane ticket. I'm going to try to go to UFC 226. Is that what number we're on? Ooh, Whatever DC yeah. versus Stipe is. Is that one in Vegas? My little brother, the one in Vegas, my little brother's already there and he wanted to go. And I said, fuck it. But now I'm looking at the prices for the T-Mobile arena and I'm like, oh my God. Oh well, my God. At least you guys get to save money on, um, not having to buy a hotel suite. Well, he's there for two weeks cause, uh, they got him a hotel anyway. Because he's there for two weeks. Oh, well. Anyway, so. They don't know. But he yeah, could have uh, had his own accommodation. <laughs> Nikki's like, nah, 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 nah. Put me up in that hotel. Exactly. So, let's see. If I go over there, I'll uh, lay some bets for everybody involved here. Assuming California and New York. Don't let us gamble by that time. Um, all right. Let's do stuff we like and um, and get out of here. Um, I'm going to lead this off. Who watched Luke Cage besides me? I have not. Who watched a minute of Luke Cage? I have not. I watched the uh, little screen and video package that scrolls by on things that are new and that you should watch, but that's it. I just want to say, this is where we're at now with these things, man. Um, well, I was going to watch it. Like, I actually pressed play on starting to watch the season. I was very excited about it. But then I remembered I hadn't finished Jessica Jones yet. Bob, did you finish it? I watched the whole fucking thing. Can I ask you a quick question and keep it as spoiler-free as possible? A I'm going to do my best. Comic Opinion, which I do respect, said this is the closest Iron Fist could have possibly come to redeeming his shitty character. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Iron Fist was good. Iron Fist was good, and Iron Whoa. Fist was... This isn't a spoiler. This okay, is go, a Iron, bomb, isn't it, Mark? Iron Fist was somehow... Think, well, this is that's, a, that's a spoiler in itself. You got You, you got to go like... You got to treat it like you haven't seen Iron Fist before. That's hard. And he literally was talking about how shitty he was before. Iron oh Fist. <laughs> so meta. Of, uh... No, he's just like, he's like, you sound like how I used to sound. It's not the right way to do things. It's like, it was honestly, like, it was, he was, I remember like it took a few minutes because when he showed up, I was like, man, fuck the Iron Fist. <laughs> then like 10 minutes later, I'm just like, yeah, man, Iron Fist. Not bad. I mean, I, and eventually, if, if he gave like a Zach Morris camera freeze and like, look, we don't have the budget to reboot this. So we're basically rebooting this right now. Just take me as a new character. Let's go. Um, so it was uh, it was um, uh, the season was OK. I, I liked the first season. I know Mark didn't. Some of you guys didn't like it that much. I thought the first season was pretty solid. Um. I again think every, I mean, I think I like how the criticism is has extended to all these shows now. Something that we pointed out for years that every one of these motherfuckers is too many episodes. All right. Too long. Too and many again, episodes. eight episodes is the right number. Even though with the defenders, they managed to make that boring. Um, eight episodes is the number. This was 13. It was okay. It, I mean, there, I felt at times they dragged stuff out. Um, the guy who plays Shades, I'm not a fan of Sons of Anarchy. Um, so I'm not familiar with a lot of his work. Um, I'm trying to find his name right now. Is it the Puerto Rican dude? Yeah, it's the Puerto Rican dude. Theo, Theo um, Rossi? Theo Rossi. Theo Rossi. He was, um, he was wonderful. He really did a good job um, in this uh, in this season. Um, and another person that impressed me, because I didn't notice that it was fucking him, um, which I'm sure Mike has pointed this out on the podcast before, is that Thomas Jones is on the show. 
the former running back of the New York Jets. Oh. Um, he plays uh, Comanche uh, on the show, which I hope I'm not talking out my ass here, but I'm pretty sure that was fucking uh, that was that's Thomas Jones who used to play for the Jets. Um, where is this dude's fucking name? Help me out, Wikipedia. God damn it! Someone figure this out while I'm looking. Um, I thought he was pretty good too in his role. Misty Misty Knight is irritating to me because I think they make her character like unnecessarily combative with uh, combative with her own fucking job uh a lot of times uh yeah thomas jones played uh comanche and thomas jones used to play for the jets same guy so i mean the question i also want to ask but uh i'm not really asking it for real just because it would be a spoiler i'm concerned with this series because of them thus far i thought this luke cage its biggest issue it had the weakest villains um and that's something that started so good with these defender shows but have been going downhill since the start i think kingpin was the top and purple man was probably number two but everything else was worse i i personally i thought cottonmouth was great i thought cottonmouth was great too until halfway through yeah that was the i was gonna say because diamondback was because it really was only through like the first five episodes and then the whole main baddie of the season as far as you can call him was like it was so out of left field that was the big bad taste that was like left in my mouth yeah i agree um this season um you get i mean there's a couple bad guys um alfrey woodard um as mariah dillard she's a really good actress so she's able to like i'm believing everything that comes out of her mouth quite frankly Uh, Um, that was a cottonmouth sister yeah, but she's the, the councilwoman. Oh, um, I forgot that's where they were building. Uh, and people who are fans of the comic book, I mean, this is not a shocker at this point or a surprise that it's not a spoiler. They cast it. They announced the casting that they had Bushmaster. The character Bushmaster is in this season. Um, if any of us know so, Bushmaster. Yeah, I don't know. I've read some Luke Cage and Heroes for I don't know. But Comanche sounded familiar, too, so I don't know. Yeah, he was. Um, he's one of uh, Shades' boys. Honestly, I thought Theo Rossi was great. I thought... Uh, the the guy who the what's her name was uh, I thought Alfred Woodard was great, um, Mike Coulter as Luke Cage he's a very I buy him as Luke Cage in general, so people did their jobs I kind of thought it was long again I liked the first season more though I felt the first season's middle section was worse than this season's middle section because good. Mark Mark pointed out in the first season middle section where we just went on a fucking farm for no reason for like three day three episodes or whatever for no reason like yeah that was bad. Um, not enough Colleen Wing for my taste, personally. But it was a good. It was. I don't know. I, I don't want to give too much away. Normally we spoil shit left and right, but I'm literally the only one who's watched it. So we'll see if the guys watch any of it. It's you know okay. Jessica Jones season two wasn't great. I mean I don't. Know, this might be comparable to that. Jessica Jones season one was just so good to me. Season two was a bit of a disappointment. I will say season um, two of Jessica Jones has arguably the worst villain as well. I don't remember who it was. That's part of the issue. Like, who was it, honestly, at this point? is Mike's watching it, so I, that's why I'm not saying it out loud. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, fair enough. Okay, so, um, yeah, I know I talk a lot about Luke Cage, but got to get that SEO, brother. Uh, uh, brother. Marcus, what do you got this week? Uh, yeah, not a whole lot in the games category, although I, I did want to touch on uh, Mario Tennis Aces that came out last Friday. Um, Steph, did I know you asked about it. Did you pick it up? Did any of you guys pick it up? I, I talked all that shit and I didn't buy it yet, man. 
Uh, I mean, uh, I got my gaming on elsewhere, which I'll mention. Uh, it's the Steam sale, so okay. So I mean, uh, at its core, it's actually a really fun Mario Tennis game. Um, I'm actually enjoying just the basic tennis, which actually isn't that basic at all. There's actually they've added from my, and I haven't. I'm not like a connoisseur of the Mario sports titles, and especially the tennis one. But from what I can tell, there's a lot more to the mechanics in how uh, this game plays than previous ones. And one of the things that I kind of had my hopes up uh, going into this uh, release was that they announced that there was going to be a single player mode, like an adventure mode. And that seemed really interesting. And the, a lot of the criticisms coming into this game was they just did a Mario Tennis game like two years ago on the Wii U called Ultimate Smash, I believe. And it did not do well. People did not like that game. And one of the big knocks on it was that there really wasn't a lot to do in that game. And I think that's kind of one of the knocks on this game as well, is you have a, so far I've played very little of it, but a fairly interesting adventure mode. And then you have a tournament mode, which you can play online or offline against the AI. And then you have uh, basically free play. And um, I played a bit of the adventure mode, a bit of free play, and then some of the uh, tournaments. So what's disappointing in this game and when it comes to the single player content is that when you look at something like um, the Mario Kart that they, they just re-released, there, one of the big motivating factors in that game is that one, there's a lot of courses you could ride on, there's a lot of cups you participate in, but the biggest draw in that game is that while you're constantly collecting coins doing the races, you're constantly unlocking new things, whether it's new carts, new glider uh, things, new wheels on your car, there's just you're constantly getting fed more incentive to put more time into the game, and this game has none of that. Um, of the th of the tournaments that you get to participate in uh, against the AI, there's only three of them, like a mushrooms, star, and flower, something along those lines. And they basically get a little bit more difficult with each iteration. Um, for me, the flower cup, I believe it is the second one. I'm having difficult times beating it. Uh, but then outside of the tournament mode and then this adventure mode, there's nothing else really to the game except for online play. So I, I don't know why I had the expectation that I would be unlocking new shoes shorts, polos, rackets, balls. If they had variations in those things, I was constantly earning more I was, as I was playing through. I think the hooks of the core gameplay, um, because it's really good. It's actually a very interesting um, tennis game wherein they added kind of fighting game mechanics where you're building up a meter, and as you build up the meter, it gives you access to new abilities, and there's a ways to counteract those abilities. So when someone goes for a certain type of shot, there's a way for you to block that and gain energy yourself. And they have trick shots. There's a lot of intricate mechanics going into what is basically just a tennis game. Um, but ultimately, it falls a little bit short just because I don't know how much time you're ultimately going to spend in it. Unless you get really into the competitive online scene, um, that could have some legs. But as it just comes to, if you're a single-player kind of player, um, outside of the adventure mode, which a knock on it that I haven't experienced yet is that it gets fairly repetitive, is that there might not be a ton of content for you to come back to. Um, the most important thing, though, is the core gameplay, which is actually really strong in this game. So um, for myself, I think that's really fun. If I ever get a tennis itch, um, this is going to be an easy game to jump into and kind of uh, fulfill that, uh, that scratch. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, I've been catching up on Adventure Time, which is a uh, Cartoon Network show. Um, from like, I don't know, the early 2010s. And um, I watched it a while back and I had fallen off and it's on Hulu, so I'm catching up. And while I'm still really enjoying the show and I think one of the things that makes it such a fun cartoon outside of just its humor and visual stylings is that there's a lot of layers to the world that they're trying to build and they unravel those layers very slowly throughout the arc of the story. 
And um, one of my knocks is um, that I'm going to put on it is that um, Rebecca Sugar, who ultimately left Adventure Time and went on to make Steven Universe, um, I felt I feel that when she left the show, a lot of the heart in Adventure Time was kind of taking with it. Because um, one of the things that I think Rebecca Sugar does really well is she writes really emotionally engaging and touching music. And the first couple of seasons have that. And then once she's removed from the show, um, there's not nearly as much music. And the few songs they play here and there don't really kind of pull you in and tug at your heartstrings like um, the music that was going on when uh, Rebecca was still producing it. But even that being said, like I said, it has a really interesting world that it's slowly unraveling. And even now that we're deep into the six of nine seasons and some of these seasons go 52 episodes. Keep in mind the episodes are 50 minutes long. Um, they're still unraveling new things about the characters and the world. And it seems like even though they've kind of exposed more and more of the backstory, there's still a lot more to uh, unwind here. And I think that's really interesting. And that kind of uh, storytelling is enough to keep me going, even though I feel like some of the heart of the show has kind of been lost um, with the loss of Rebecca Sugars, who went on to do her own show, Steven Universe, which I also love and talk about, you know, con- consistently on the show. So those are the things I like this week. Stefan, you got anything this week? Uh, yeah, a quick one and then a little bit one I'll pitch to y'all. Um, like I mentioned, it's the Steam Summer Sale. So uh, it's a lot of really cheap PC games for you to keep in your library and never install. But um, I've actually installed a couple of them, and I got them playing. I bought a couple rebuys. Um, I bought 2K NBA 2K18 on the super cheap. Uh, nice. I bought uh, Grand Theft Auto again on the super cheap. And then uh, I bought a couple older games that I wanted to play for a little while, um, and they were 90% off, so how could I say no? One is uh, Total War 2 Shogun. Um, Total War is a RTS series. Uh, I liked them back in the day. This game came out in, like, 2011, I think it was, so it's older. It was cheap. And another one is a weird uh, kind of open-world samurai game that I've read very well. Um, it's supposed to be weird as fuck. Like, it has a supposedly tons of replay value. It gets really, like, I don't even know how to describe it. I'll let you know if I end up playing that one. Um, but anyways, that's some Steam Sale Summer Sale. Buy some piece of game for uh, cheap. The other one is, um, I really got into an anime series over this past weekend. Um, hanging out, uh, watching my niece and nephew, because they're on summer break, so they wanted to stay with me and hang out. Um, but my niece loves this anime series, and we ended up binge-watching, like, half a season together. It's called Food Wars. It's, um, I've seen it. It's usually one of the highest recommended ones on Crunchyroll. It has three seasons now. Um, the best way I can describe it is kind of My Hero Academia meets the cooking show Iron Chef. Like, it, I, I, the concept is so weird to me. It's like a shonen series about a kid who wants to go to this elite culinary high school, and he wants to crack the Elite Ten, the Elite Ten Council of the Greatest Chefs. And, like, it's amazing, but the way they animate the food and they do it, they it's like a shonen series. It's like combative fights where the characters and the judges testing the food have these absurd over the top reactions. Uh Steph can I ask you a question. Is when they're preparing the food, is there lots of crowd commentary? Like, I didn't know you could crack an egg that way, or they're breaking yeah. all the rules of cooking. Other students will be breaking down, like, oh, he's using this technique. Like, 
you get all that commentary. Yeah, those are some of the anime tropes I love. Is the like slow motion? Everyone is commentating on what is going on, so you don't lose a beat. Olive oil, his family secret. Like they're you know this. It's like they make it that way. Like they have techniques. Like this person is a type of chef that used likes to use like advanced like cooking techniques. This person is cooks medicinal food. They have their specialties. Like oh, this person is a master of aromas and scents. So, like, it's fun because they do this, like, kitchen stadium where they do these one-on-one battles and everything as they go through the culinary school. Um, so it's really entertaining from that point. Like, the again, the reactions are super over the top. Like, an old guy is eating this soup, and he talks about how invigorating it is. So he roids out of control and bursts out of his shirt, like, super jacked. And, like, okay. I like oh, that. He bare his chest. He never bears his chest. It's got to be so good. You know, like the girls have like near orgasmic like reactions to things. Okay, so, so the adult series in that the regard. old guy hulking out—that's like a common occurrence. They're like, oh, that's fairly common. He usually hulks out, but he usually doesn't rip his shirt off. I like the kind of uh... so it's, it's it's silly and over the top. But the really thing is, if you like food, this is where my deeper appreciation comes from of like all the absurdity of like anime tropes and everything. It really teaches you about food. Like, it breaks down what goes into the recipes, so you actually feel like you can cook these dishes at the end. Of course, you'll need all the ingredients, but, like, it explains the science of food really well. It explains to you why these flavors mix with these flavors, why cooking something in a certain style will change its texture, which will then make it blend in with another thing. So it it's one of those things. It's like the movie Chef or something. It's a It's an anime you watch. And I have to say, the art attention and detail they give to the food is nearly photorealistic at times. And my niece says sometimes they even do use photos of, like, real food in place. And it, like, not that it looks like super cheap Photoshop or anything, but they make the food look really appealing. And so you you come away really hungry from watching this series. While if you've ever watched any Shonen series, you get tied into these arcs of, like, all these girls and all these boys who want to be the best some of them are bad guys but it's funny when people are bad guys in this series because at the end of the day they don't really have any like world conquest goals it's really about just being a better chef than yeah, you they just want to be a good cook they're just competitive yeah so, this, this all makes complete anime sense like everything you're saying just like this all falls in line and it makes sense why it would be very popular oh yeah and uh it, it's great it's uh but yeah be prepared it, it has some like kind of uh it, it's a little adult themed like for example in the first episode this girl eats like squid and then in her head she's like being attacked by like this food squid covered in peanut butter and it gets kind of like tentacle porny like and they don't obviously show it but they it, it's it, you know, it eludes stuff like they basically connect a lot of the reactions is like eating food is kind of like a sexual experience like the kind of the inner feelings and the emotions that go through it. So, again, it's a sh- show about cooking food, but they make it pretty damn compelling. And it doesn't sound awkward to watch with your niece at all. <laughs> it's as I said, it's amazing that she was the one who watched it and she was the one who introduced it to me. But at that point, I'm like, I'm the uncle, whatever. Like, you're on your parents to kind of moderate this stuff for you. But um, no, it's fun. It's, it's a really fun series. Cool. Mike, uh, you know, this week the only thing I have is I actually started watching uh, the In Vogue Tearjerker show. Uh, this is us. I'm on about episode twelve now, and uh, 
I can see why that uh, Sterling K. Brown guys won two two Emmys in a row. Is that Emmys? Is that the one for TV? Emmys? Yep. All right, yeah. Uh, I see why he's won two Emmys in a row. One for playing uh, Chris Darden and the other for playing uh, the black brother on this show. Um, it's got the guy that played the original Green Arrow from Smallville. I uh, didn't know he could ever redeem himself from that role, but he actually has. Uh, it has the small petite T-Mobile girl in it. Um, oh, she the, the hell's the T-Mobile like, girl? Uh, Russian? Yeah. Yeah, she was on uh, Step What Was That Show We Watched, Spaced, and she's going to be Squirrel Girl, so I hope she does a good job in that. Wait, this is that's AT and T girl. Yeah, oh, that's the wrong person. Oh, T Mobile, AT and T. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, I, th- I thought there was a different girl for T for a uh, T for. No, I think you're right. I, I was thinking of AT and T, not T Mobile. I don't know one of the one of those wireless uh, providers. But um, you know, I, I didn't give the show a shot because it actually I know I watch a lot of TV, but normally those types of shows like that, like I tend to stay away from. But I had kind of been running through too much of my Hulu stuff. And I decided to give it a shot, and I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, one of the things I don't like is that at times I'll tend to watch an episode or two during my lunch break. And that could be problematic when it's in a very emotional episode, and I'll, and I'll almost start crying, and I'm in the middle of work. And I got to like leave the room to go to the bathroom or something because by, you know it got a little dusty. So, I gotta take five after my lunch break, guys. I got emotional in that sandwich. So, just pro tip: if you're gonna start watching This Is Us, don't do it at work. Good call. All right. Uh, yeah, that's the tearjerker show. Everybody talks about it. Um. Okay. Um. That was it for this week. Um. Next week we're gonna talk about UFC 226, which is. I'm very hope much. I'm very hopeful. I'll get to go to this thing because it is awesome. It's happening. Um, oh, fuck. I just hope, you know, God willing, everybody continues to be healthy. Oh, That's that might say. not happen. You'll go to it. I don't is, know if they're all going to show up for it. Yeah, just give me give me one of the title fights. Is well, just all, all I want. Just give me one of them. My little brother doesn't know what he signed up for. If he wants to go to this card with me. He doesn't realize we show up for the first fucking fight. Nikki won. Right? N- Nikki's there to Nikki be balling. He's going to show up Nikki. maybe for the main event if he doesn't um, miss it altogether. Look, I'm, I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here looking because, like, this is a pro tip. People in Red Vendor have been to a UFC event. In my opinion, and I think the guys agree with me, the best place to sit is in, like, the lower level, slightly elevated center. Yeah. You know, like, maybe, like, 10, 15 rows up. Okay? That is the place to sit. Um, we've actually sat cage side, so we know the answer. We, we've sat everywhere, quite frankly, between all of us. Um, you know, my brother, first thing he asks is like, because I'm telling him, I'm like, hey, you know, these seats are like, I picked some seats that were not that great in the lower level. I'm like, these are $330. He's like, how much are uh, cage side? I'm like, oh, this fucking kid. <laughs> this fucking kid. Um, the best seats I could find, though, were um, lower level but like 15, I mean, on the floor, but like 15 rows back maybe, which just doesn't mean anything to anybody besides Mark and Stefan, but we sat there once and watched BJ Penn catch a Frankie Edgar ass kicking. That one in that you know? venue wasn't bad. Yeah, that was $800 though. Yeah, we paid like 80 because it was a tough. Yes, yeah, and we played 80 because it was like we had a we went to the event the day before or something, I think is what it was. So yeah, um, 
I very much like to go to go to it. At minimum, we're gonna preview the hell out of it. Though. I mean, either way, we're gonna preview the hell out of this card next week because I am still sitting here wondering if I'm gonna pick Daniel Cormier or Steve Miocic. It's tough. There's a bunch of. I tough mean, I go back and forth, left and right. Like, I feel a little confident in the Max Holloway pick, which is probably where I'm leaning. But even that one, I'm like, man, Brian Ortega's real good too. So, uh, yeah. Um, we're going to talk about that next week. Um, thank you all for listening. We honestly really appreciate it. I say it every week. Um, and uh, that's it. We're out. Peace. Yep.